All right, well, we're, <clears throat> we're about, what we are about to do over the next few weeks is we're going to finish up something that we started a while back. So most of you know that we spent uh, about the last year or more, really more, uh, walking through the book of Mark, uh, passage by passage, verse by verse, just coming through it. And we ended that last week. We went through the last passage of that last week. Well, right in the middle of our time uh, walking through the book of Mark, we, took, we paused for a minute, if you remember that, and we walked through some teachings from God's Word about the church, about the church of Jesus Christ. And so uh, we never did cap that off totally, so what we want to do is back up now and cap that off. So we're going to be walking through things in the next couple of weeks over church leadership, uh, who are, what are church leaders, what's the structure of leadership in the local church, what do they do, what do deacons do, these sort of things. We're going to kind of walk through that uh, together. Uh, so today is going to be, as you see at the top of your sheet there, an overview of church leadership. So we're looking at an overview of these things today. It's going to be very different than what we normally do. Uh, I'm going to read and get you to flip to lots of Bible verses, so I need you to get ready. And, uh, and you know, if, if, if you're going to be one writing things down on that sheet or another sheet, you need to be ready to write pretty fast, I think. Um, so we're going to go through things pretty quick here. We've got a lot to cover, and we're going to walk through that. Uh, I hope we can walk away from the next, these ne- even today in the next several weeks, and uh, we're a church uh, that's not ignorant about these things. But we know why we do what we do from the scriptures. The best way we can look at the Word of God and see what we need to do. And I hope that we're a group of people that have been uh, we're familiar with these things. We know what God's Word said, says about it, and we're going to walk it out for His glory and obedience to His Word. So, so I'm hoping that's what we're doing. So the aim of the teaching today is an overview of healthy leadership in a local church, Uh, specifically, which we'll get to it. We're going to work our way. We're going to start high and work our way into this specific question, which is, who are the elders? What are elders? Okay, what do they do? Uh, What kind of people are elders? Those sort of things. That's what we're going to walk into, and uh, then we'll discuss, you know, the duties of those elders over the next couple weeks after that. So, let me give you a quote real quick from the beginning. This is from a guy named Alexander Strauch. He wrote a book called Biblical Eldership. He's probably one of the most respected guys out of popular teachers or biblical teachers a lot of you guys listen to. This is probably one of the most popular books on this subject called Biblical Eldership. This is a quote from him out of that book. He says, For many people, the issue of church government is as irrelevant an issue as the color of the church pews. Indeed, for many people, the color of the church pews inspires greater interest. He's not very encouraging to me, is he? I get ready to teach this. To these people, the organizational structure of the church really doesn't matter. The average church member's disinterest in how the church is governed needs to be challenged, however. So the average church member's interest in this subject, church leadership, church government, needs to be challenged, says this man. Church government is an extremely practical and theologically significant issue. Alright, so that's Alexander Strauss pushing for us, knowing what we believe from the Bible in these things, and being very interested. He says this has very much so a large effect. And then he goes on to give you reasons. I'm going to give you my own reasons, okay? So the first thing you'll find there on your study guide is why should we at Grace Community Church study this? Why should we study what the Bible says and understand and be established together as a church on what the Bible says about church leadership? And I'm going to give you five reasons. Reason number one is very simple. 
Because the Bible talks about it. Because the Bible talks about it. We believe that the Bible is the ultimate authority. We believe the Bible is the ultimate God. It speaks to the topic of church leadership several times, way more times than we actually have time to go into today. And therefore, we want to say, what does God's Word say about this? Let me give you a quick reminder. God's Word is our authority. These are, in the, in the Bible, our written words. These are God-breathed words. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture is God-breathed. So they carry the authority of God Himself. And so if they speak about church leadership, we want to know what does the Bible say about these things. We are not, and I'll repeat, we are not a young, innovative church coming up with new ideas of effective ways to lead the church. We are not doing that. What we want to do is stand on the bedrock of the God-breathed Word and we want to consult saints that have gone generations before us throughout history that have, that have spoken to these things. We want to consult that and stand on the bedrock of God's Word to guide us in what to do in regards to church leadership. So I pray that we're a people that bank our whole lives on this book and when it speaks about something like church leadership, we listen intently, we zone in, and we obey whatever it says. That's reason number one. Reason number two is this. Because the church of Jesus Christ is very important to us. The church of Jesus Christ should be inexpressibly important to you and to me. And church leadership is a part of that church, of that scenario. Okay. So as much as we care about the church of Jesus Christ, we ought to care about how she is led. Alright? And so the question is this, why in the world should you care? I just said it should be inexpressibly, inexpressibly important to you. Why should you care about the church? Why should that be a concern to you? And I want to read this passage of Scripture. You don't have to flip there. I just want to read it to you. And you tell me why this should be important as you line up your desires and your affections compared to Christ. Ephesians 5.25 says this, Christ loved the church and He gave Himself for her that He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present her to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and without blemish. Should we not also love the church in such a way that we do just that? We give ourselves for her. Should we not love the church in such a way that we labor and strive for her growth and her perfection and her being presented before Christ one day? And part of caring for this church is being concerned about how she led, how she cared for, according to the Scriptures. Reason number three that we should study this topic. Reason number three, because church leadership is a very intimate part of your life, or at least it should be. And what I mean by that is a very intimate part of that. I mean, this is very personal to you and me. This is a very personal thing. What the Bible says about church leadership, that subject, that topic is very personal. It's very intimate to you, or at the very least, it should be. Everybody in here fits into one of four categories. Or you might fit into one or more of these categories, and you probably do. Either you're a church leader, and so you need to know what the Bible says about these things. Or you aspire to be a leader of a church and therefore you need to know what the Bible says about these things. 
or you are under church leadership in your life. You're a member of a local church. Most of you this church, obviously. And so you're under church leadership. So you need to know what the Bible says about these things. What does the Word of God say about it? Or you're not under any kind of church leadership. And therefore you need to know what the Bible says about these things so that you can walk in obedience to them. So that you can know about the blessings of having people that watch out for your souls as those who must give an account to God. And so this is a reason that I think we should study this topic. Uh, in, my, in our culture, I realize this, I just want to mention this quick. In our culture, most people have never experienced this. When we think about church leadership, uh, it's either we, we don't understand even who they are. It's either just one man that, that speaks every week, and we have, he's so far away, there's no way we've ever touched him and know anything about him, he knows anything about us, or we have no idea who even the leaders in the church are. So most of us have never experienced anything like this, but I want to come against that today, okay? We, we need to know what the Bible says about these things. We cannot be ignorant about these things. Uh, number four is this, and I love this. We are a finish the mission church. You agree with that? We are a finish the mission church. We know that the Bible says in Matthew 28, Go therefore make disciples of all the nations. We know also the Scripture says that this Gospel will be preached in all nations as a testimony to all, and then the end will come. And so we're a church looking to finish the mission. We're a church looking to spread the Gospel of Jesus Christ until all nations receive it and Christ Jesus returns in power. We're a church devoted to finishing the mission. We want to be... Maybe He won't let us, maybe He will. But we want to be that. We want to be there when that last people group hears the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And they turn to Jesus and they worship Him. And Jesus splits the sky open and comes back and gets His bride. We want to be a part of that. And you say, well, well, what's that got to do with church leadership, right? And here's what it has to do with church leadership. Many of you know this and I, and I, want, I want to put this before you, okay? We've been given strategy in the Bible about how to finish the mission of Jesus. We've been given that in the Scripture. So when we read Romans and 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus and the book of Acts and we read these things in the Bible, we've been given a strategy about how we're going to finish the mission and it sounds very much so like this. Preach the Gospel. Make disciples. Plant churches with Biblical leadership, and we see this strategy of Paul as he comes out through the book of Acts and he goes in these places, proclaims the gospel of Jesus, disciples are made, churches planted, and he appoints elders in every church. And this is our strategy. And therefore, we need to know what does the Bible say about biblical church leadership. Reason number five is this. Reason number five is this. We want to be, and I hope you agree with me, we want to be a healthy multi-generational church a healthy multi-generational church and here's what i mean not only do we want to spread the glory of jesus to every nation tribe and tongue on this earth but we also want to spread the glory of jesus into multiple generations long after we're dead and gone and so to do this we need to understand what the bible says about church that you think about it Grace Community Church, long after we're dead and gone. Grace Community Church, the pillar, a pillar and ground of the truth. Grace Community Church, a people, long after all of us are dead and gone, a people that are called out of darkness into His marvelous light. 
A holy nation. A people set apart to bring praises to the King long after we're dead and gone. And this is what we want to go after, right? And to do this, we must understand what the Bible says about church leadership, okay? We want to set a pattern for the generations before us. And you know like I know that a lot of times things are done in a certain way. And when you can't connect that into the Scriptures, even, the, even while we do this, it eventually fades and it just becomes a thing. And we wouldn't want to do that here. We want to set a pattern for the coming generations and maybe even keep any weak, misleading, false teaching leaders from coming here and leading people astray. Okay? That's what we're going after, okay? So, y'all ready? Y'all want to study this? Alright. So we're about to dive into it, okay? So I've got, you know, this, this uh, five headings there on your sheet. What do we need to know then in regards to church leadership? What do we need to know what must we know about church leadership? I've got you five headings there. Number one is the church universal, okay? We need to know about the church universal. You can't understand church leadership unless you understand the church itself, the church of Jesus. Many people in our time have put forward the church as something ugly, something hypocritical, and what I want to do is I want to take what the Bible says and present her to you as something beautiful. Beautiful, just like the Bible describes her, okay? So here's the backdrop. So I want to explain to you the church, but let me give you the backdrop out of which she comes. Here's the backdrop. This is a crooked and perverse generation that we live in, Philippians 2.15, and we are a part of the problem. Galatians 1.4 says, this present evil age 1 John 5.19 says the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we're a part of it. We're a part of the problem. This world is full of... Listen to Romans 3.10. This is it. This is the world. Romans 3.10. There's none righteous. No, not one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There's none who does good, no, not one. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The whole world is dark, deteriorating, headed toward the flames of hell, and this includes us. This is the backdrop. But, an awesome word, an awesome turn of events has happened. God knows how to pull out of that dark world a people for Himself. Before time again, God leaned toward this remnant of people with love in His heart. These people that one day be called His church. And He leans in before time again toward them. And you say this, well there's going to be this remnant pulled out of that? What about their sin? What about their rebellion? What about it? And this is where you see that God Almighty sent His Son to come and die on a cross for their sins. Christ Jesus absorbed our punishment. He took our sins at the cross and died for them. He rose from the dead as the leader of this remnant called the church. And the church of Jesus Christ are all those who are born again. All those who are in Christ Jesus. Who are adopted into the family of Jesus. Saved from the wrath to come because they've turned from their sins and put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who died for them. This is the church of Jesus. Now there's been many imposters you know that all throughout history and even today, many imposters, people who claim to be a part of the church, and yet really, really, they've never turned from their sin. They've never put their hope in Christ. 
People who claim to be a part of the church and born again, and yet they've never really been regenerated. No new heart. No great high priest. No record white clean. It's never happened. You see it in their lives, and they don't live as if they were born again. In fact, there are whole organizations, whole gatherings, whole institutions that have claimed to be the church of Jesus Christ and yet have never really been, have nothing to do with the real church of Jesus Christ. And for the most part, these individuals and these groups, these, the, these are the things that have put the, the bad name on the church in and of itself. But here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to let those things defile your thinking about the church of Jesus Christ. So I want you to listen to the Bible. Listen to what the Bible, listen to the beautiful picture of the church of Jesus Christ from the Word of God. Revelation 19 says she is the bride of Christ. The marriage of the Lamb has come. His wife has made herself ready. The church is the Lamb's wife. The church is the body of Christ. Ephesians 1.22 He put all things under His feet. That's under Jesus' feet. And gave Him to be head over all things to the church, which is His body. The fullness of Him who fills all in all. It's like Jesus is the invisible head. His church is the invisible body. The church of Jesus, the body of Christ that represents Him on this earth. It's a beautiful thing. The church is called... In 1 Timothy 3.14, the pillar and ground of the truth. She's the bulwark of truth right in the midst of a deceitful and lying generation. The church of Jesus Christ. Listen to 1 Peter 2.9. A chosen generation. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. His own special people. That you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light who once were not a people but now are the people of God who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. That's beautiful. It's the church of Jesus Christ. Beautiful. The church is the family of Jesus where God is called by us Abba Father. Where we are called by Him children of God. Where Jesus, the Savior, He's called the firstborn and Savior of all. And where we look to each other as brothers and sisters. Even those you don't know. Even those in North Korea that are in Christ Jesus, your brothers and your sisters, the universal church of Jesus. The Greek word that's often translated church in the New Testament is the word ekklesia. Ekklesia. It means the called out assembly. Because we are, as I just read, those called out of darkness into His marvelous light. Or as it says in Philippians 2.15, we are those called out of a perverse generation to shine as lights in the world. The church of Jesus Christ. She's beautiful. Don't you love her? Don't you desire to care for her? Don't you care for what happens with the church of Jesus Christ? Don't you love her like Christ does? And I'll tell you this, the way you know if you do or not, is you look around to that local expression of the universal church of Jesus Christ all over the world, and you look around at that local expression, and you say, how much do I care with my prayers, with the sharing of the Word of God, with the encouragement, with the, with the challenge even, and maybe the rebuke, maybe the correction when it comes. How much do you look around and you care about this, the, the local expression of that universal church? Do you love her? And this brings me to my second thing you need to understand, the local church. So we've talked about the church universal. I want to talk to you about the church local because the church universal does not have leadership. 
Except Jesus. Jesus leads the church. But as far as human leadership goes, the universal church does not have it. The, the leadership in the church is seen on a local level and local expressions. Popes and other ways to make authority over the church universal from men is unbiblical, it's unwarranted in Scripture. So I want to bring this down to the local church, the local expression of the church. Okay, The ecclesia, the church, it's oftentimes... That word ecclesia oftentimes in the scripture refers to a local assembly of believers like us. Okay? A local assembly of believers. Listen to this quote from David Platt. Listen. The dominant emphasis, excuse me, the dominant emphasis in the New Testament is on the local church. Out of 114 times ecclesia is mentioned in the New Testament, that's that word. At least 90 of them refer to the specific local gatherings of believers. Now that pretty much squashes the idea of, I'm a part of the universal church, so I'm not a part of a local church. That's unheard of in the Bible. It's foreign to the Scriptures that you would be a part of the, the church, universal, and not part of a local church that's uh, in a, per, a specific location with a specific leadership. Okay? So let's look at some scripture, okay? Some scripture that makes it clear that there is such a thing as a local church. And we got to go fast here because we got to get to leadership, okay? Here's, here's a fast version of this. How do we know there's such a thing as a local church? Why, why do we even say that, okay? And here it is. I want you to notice what, what is called church in the New Testament. Okay, there's a, there's a, I read a verse to you a moment ago that calls the universal bride of Christ church. But what else is called church in the New Testament? Acts chapter 8 verse 1 says this, the church in Jerusalem. Now notice it doesn't say the piece of the church in Jerusalem or the part of the church in Jerusalem, uh, excuse me, the part in Jerusalem of the church or whatever, but it just says the church in Jerusalem. Acts 13.1 says the church at Antioch. Again, it doesn't say part of the church, but the church at Antioch. Listen to this one. This one's really clear. Acts 14.23 When they had appointed elders in every church. Word church used to say the universal church. Now they say, it's referring to specific local gatherings. says every church. They appointed elders in every There's different churches compared to certain location and certain leadership. Every church. Church is the idea there. Romans 16.5 says, Greet also the church in their house. Notice that a group of believers meeting in Priscilla and Aquila's house, and they're looked at here in this, in this place as church. Okay, local church. Now there's many other truths that we don't have time to go into that show that there's such a thing as a local church. I want to prove that to you. I wish I had more time, but here's one thing I'll say quickly. There's other things like church discipline or church leadership that insinuate that there's such a thing as a local gathering of believers. Here's what, here's what I mean. If you read 1 Corinthians 5, you read Matthew chapter 18, and there's this thing called church discipline. If you read that, here's what you realize. There should be a situation in everybody here's life, okay, a situation, to where here you are in Christ Jesus and you're hooked to this body of believers, and you begin to go get hammered drunk every weekend, okay? Or maybe some other open sin like that that's just continuous and it's unrepentant. There should be a situation in your life, according to 1 Corinthians 5, where you get disciplined by your local church. And what that means is somebody comes to you and they confront your sin. If you don't hear it, a few people come and confront your sin. They plead with you. They love you. And you don't hear them. 
bring it before the church. The church pleads with you as a whole. You don't hear them. And the church excommunicates that person. It says He puts them away. Now that's a loving thing that's meant to bring people back in. Like the discipline of a child. There should be something in your life like that. That doesn't happen church universal. It's not in your life if you say, I'm a part of the universal church, so I don't have to be a part of a local church. Well, how do you ever get that happening in your life then? And it doesn't happen. Okay? Church discipline assumes that there is a local church. Now, let me say this, okay? So we're thinking about this. I think I proved to you, and, and, and you know, I wish I could go along on that, that there is such a thing biblically as a local church. Church at Antioch, Church of Jerusalem, Grace Community Church. I hope I proved that to you. Now, here's the thing. The local church is presented to us as a beautiful thing in our Bibles. It's God's idea. Man did not rebel into divisive divisions against God and begin meeting these local assemblies. It's not man's idea. This is God's idea. The universal church is united together in Christ and in the local church is where you see the expression of that unity play out in love for one another and care for one another. The universal church is united in the mission. Make disciples of all nations. And in the local expression of that church is where you see people locked arms, preaching together, pulling their resources together, stirring each other up to love and good works. The universal church has Jesus, Jesus as its head, its shepherd, its leader, and the local church still has Jesus as its head, and yet there are qualified men from their own ranks that come into oversight and leadership of the local church. Okay, so this brings us to my third heading here. Third heading, okay? What do you need to know about church leadership? We're talking about the universal church. This backdrop of wickedness God pulls out of people for Himself. Those people gather in the local assemblies. We see that scripturally. Now, what is, what, what is this third heading? There should be leadership in the local church. Now, I don't want to assume this, okay? I don't want to just assume everybody believes that, okay? What I want to do is I want to talk about there should be leadership in the local church. And here's what I'm saying. Now, now notice I use the word leadership, okay? Leadership, just the general word leadership. Because before we get into who is leadership or what does leadership do, I want to affirm the fact that there should be leadership in the local church. I want to establish that fact that that's God's perfect design for local churches, okay? I, I want to tell you that a leaderless church is a foreign concept to the New Testament. Best case scenario, it's lacking. Worst case scenario, it's not a church, okay? A leaderless church. Here's where I want to show you this, okay? Because you're supposed to say, prove it. Give me Bible, Ryan. I want to give you Bible. Three major reasons why there should be leadership in a local church. Number one is this. Every example of a church in the New Testament had leadership. That should carry weight. Every example of a church in the New Testament had leadership. Don't flip to these verses, okay? Because I'm going to just fly through this. I want you to just hear it. I want you to hear it. Listen. The church of Jerusalem, Acts 11, 29 and 30, says this. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders, as leadership elders, by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Okay, leadership in the church of Jerusalem. The church at Antioch had leadership, Acts 13.1. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, etc., 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 okay? 
There's the several churches that Barnabas and Paul planted throughout the Galatian region. They had leadership. Listen to Acts 14.23. So when they had appointed elders in every church, they planted, 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 planted in all these places. They appointed elders in every church. Okay, The church at Philippi had church leadership. Philippians 1.1. This letter to the Philippian church says, To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops... That's overseers, same word. Some of your verses say overseers and deacons. The church at Thessalonica had leadership. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 and 13. Listen. We urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord. Over you in the Lord means leadership. They lead over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. The church of Corinth had leadership. 2 Corinthians 13.10 According to the authority that which the Lord has given me for edification and not for destruction. It's an authority given to Him for this. The church at Ephesus had leadership. Acts 20 verse 17 From Miletus He sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. Oh, and I just want to say, I've got many more here, but I'm actually going to skip some of these for time's sake. Let me give you one more actually. The churches scattered abroad. Okay, Listen. Listen, James 1.1 says, To the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Twelve tribes of Israel scattered everywhere through that persecution, right? And James is writing to them. And James assumes that those people will be gathered together in the local churches and have leadership in those churches. Listen to James 5.14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Call for the elders in the church. You see it? Twelve tribes scattered abroad, and James assumes they'll be hooked into a church with leadership, okay? Now, I'm going to skip some of these, okay? Do you get my point, though? Every church, there's more here, but every church in the New Testament had leadership, so you should have leadership. Second reason, very quick, the instructions of the letter 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, okay? That letter is literally the church order letter. Why was it written, you say? Why was 1 Timothy written? 1 Timothy 3.15 tells you why. I write so that you may know how to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. This is the, this is the church order letter. And if you read this letter within it, it's all kind of instructions about leadership in the church. Chapter 3, verse 1 through 7 gives you qualifications for elders. Chapter 5, verse 17 and on gives you all kind of things that you need to know about church leaders, such as let the elders of the church who rule well be counted worthy of double honor especially those who labor in word and doctrine you get what i'm saying this is the church order letter and it's putting church leadership before you third reason is very simple the command of titus the command of titus the command that's in the letter to titus from paul says this in verse 5 chapter 1 verse 5 i left you in crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as i commanded you okay And then he goes into giving qualifications for these elders. So Paul makes it plain to Titus that I want you to appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. And to a church that does not have these elders, it says that it is lacking at best and I would say maybe not a church at all. Okay. So again, I'll say this. A leaderless church is foreign to the New Testament. There should be leadership in the local church. Number four. Everybody with me there? So we've established there's a universal church, there's a local church expressing that church biblically, and there should be leadership in the local church. And what is, what's number four? What's number four? 
we must understand the leadership structure of a local church. Okay? Be equipped here, okay? That's why I want you to start thinking, because things are going to start getting different than you may have ever heard. Okay? And who knows? I might be preaching heresy. You better watch out. I'm not. Okay. <laughs> Number four is this. We must understand the leadership. In other words, how is the local church governed? Okay, it's supposed to have leaders. It's supposed to have leaders. How is it governed? How, how should it be? How, what, how is leadership structured? What kind of leadership should govern the local church? You see where we're going? And I want you to listen in, okay? Listen in to this, okay? When I, when, I, when I was first saved, this was extremely confusing to me. Extremely confusing. And I think it has something to do with the different lingo. The different ways that people will talk about it. I look up and I'm new. You know, I've never been around the things of God very much. And I'm saved and I start getting around churches. And I'm hearing about uh, a pastor and elders and bishops and archbishops and uh, executive board members. And I don't know what, what in the world. Some of it sounded biblical. Some of it didn't. I didn't know what was going on. I was very confused. I think a lot of it had to do with the testimony. So let's talk about the biblical church leadership structure that we want to go after in this local church at Grace Community Church, okay? And to do that, I want to give you mainly three little three little, uh, three little, little subheadings here, three little points of what we're going after in a biblical leadership structure. Everybody ready? Number one is this. There are two offices in the local church, elders and deacons. Now that ought to help. If I can show you that biblically, that ought to help with simplicity, right? There are two offices in the local church. Not four, not five, not fifty. There's two offices. Elder and deacon in church. The church has elders and deacons. Two offices. That should simplify things for you. Biblically, here's some verses. Philippians 1.1 that I've already read. It writes that letter to the church of Philippi with its bishops. Some of your verses says overseers. Which I'm going to give you a heads up clue. You could call them Pastors. You could call them elders. I'm going to prove that in a minute. So the bishops and deacons. And what you have here is bishops. These bishops are overseers or pastors or elders. You could call them all the same. This is the government of the local church. This is the leaders of the local church. And then you have deacons, which aren't they're not necessarily governing the local church. They're like lead servants. Kind of like that situation in Acts 6, right? Remember what happened in Acts 6? A need arose for these widows who are being neglected, and they appointed seven men to go do that task. Not necessarily governing the local church, but leading out in service in a certain type way. So two offices, and one of them is church leadership. It's church government. It's, and it calls them bishops or overseers in Philippians 1.1. 1, 1. 1 Timothy 3, verse 1-13 through 13 is another good place to see that. If you read 1 Timothy 3, you're in the, the church order letter, and it says in the first seven verses... This is what an overseer or elder must be. Okay? And then verses 8 through about 13 said this is what the deacons must be. That's two offices in the local church. Now, don't confuse that with gifts. There are many gifts in the church of Jesus Christ, but there's two offices in the local church, and I say offices for lack of a better word. Okay? Two offices in the local church. So, second thing I want you to know is this. Well, what is that? You know, let's zone in. We've said two offices... Overseers and deacons, let's zone in on overseers, okay? Let's zone in. What should they be? What should that look like? And here's a phrase I want to give you. It's on your sheet. Plurality of elders slash pastors slash overseers. Plurality of elders slash pastors slash overseers. Okay, plurality. 
This means a group of men leading the church, not a one-man show. Plurality means a group. It's more than one. Plurality, a group of men leading the church, not a one-man show. Now, now why? Why would I say this? Why does there need to be a plurality of leaders? Why? It's the consistent language all throughout the New Testament that leadership in a local church should be a plurality. Let me give you the examples very quickly. Acts 14.23, after he, after he preached the gospel, made disciples in those different cities, it says he appointed elders, plural, elders in every church. That's multiple, that's plurality of leadership in every church. He does not say that he appointed a pastor with his staff in every church. He appointed elders in every church. Acts 20 verse 17, he called for the elders of the church of Ephesus, plural. Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, we've already read it, the overseers and deacons, plural. 1 Timothy 5.16, let the elders, plural, who rule well, be kind of worthy of double honor, okay? Elders is plural. Titus 1.5, appoint elders, plural, in every, excuse me, in every city. James 5.14, call for the elders of the church. It's always plural. It's consistent all the way throughout the New Testament. Therefore, there should be a plurality of leadership in a local church. Now, why would it be this way? Why? Why would God want it to be this way? And I bet if you sat and thought for a time, you could figure out why it would be this way. A few thoughts would be accountability, a plurality of leadership in a local church with equal authority brings about accountability for one another, which is needed because Satan is out. There's a story that just came out within the last week, two weeks ago. The Satan is out to do what? To de defame the name of Jesus. And one way he does it, he takes his public service, those who seem to be known by, by more than others. They're known. And he just brings them down to, the, to defame the name of Christ. We need we need accountability within the leadership structure. Okay, Another one would be strength and weaknesses. If you got a one-man show, you get all his strengths, but you also get all his weaknesses. If you have a plurality of leadership, you get this great balance of strength and weakness coming together. And maybe a third thing would be the immensity of the task. Some mass, you think of the time and care that should be given to the Word of God. 1 Timothy 4.16 says, Take Timothy, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine, to the teaching. For in doing this, you'll save yourself and those who hear you. Think of the time and care that needs to be spent over the Word of God. And think of the time and the care that needs to be spent in counseling and correcting and dealing with and loving on and knowing the body of Christ that you're going to stand before God and give an account for. That's an immense task for one man. Before a plurality, although they are still insufficient, at least makes it you make a better stab at it. I'm going to move on from there. Oh, there's so much to look at here, y'all. Okay. So, plurality. You with me here? So we're talking plurality of leadership. There's two offices in the local church. And within the overseers should be a plurality of leadership according to the Scriptures. And then I said a plurality of what? And I said elders slash pastors slash overseers. Now, why do I say it like that? Because these are all biblical terms to describe leadership in a local church. But they're not different levels. They're not different positions or different kinds of leaders. These terms are synonymous. Elder, pastor, overseer. They are synonymous in the Scriptures. They refer to the same group of men. Now knowing this has simplified your thinking about the local church and leadership in the local church. Okay, Let me give you Scripture proof of that. Turn with me to Acts chapter 20. just want you to get your eyes on it. 
Acts chapter 20. So I'll share two verses with you from there to show you that elders, pastors, overseers, this is synonymous. Okay, These are the same. It's speaking about the same person. You could look at this leadership, this group of men who are leaders in a local church, and you could say that's the elders. Or you could say that's the pastors. Or you could say that's the overseers. What we call them as bishops. <laughs> Acts 20 verse 17. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. Okay. From Ephesus, and he called for who? The elders of the church, that group of men called elders. What's he telling them to do in verse 28? Therefore, take heed to yourself, elders, and to the flock, that's the church, to the flock, among which the Holy Spirit's made you overseers. That's that 1 Timothy 3, bishop, overseers. To shepherd, that word shepherd is translated as like pastor in Ephesians 4.11, pastor, to pastor. The church of God which He purchased with His own blood. We have these words coming together. It's synonymous, okay? You've got overseers, pastors, elders, synonymous. 1 Peter chapter 5. Turn there quickly. 1 Peter chapter 5. The elders who are among you, so, so it's Peter, a fellow elder. He's talking to the elders who are among you in your churches. Okay, the elders who are among you, what does he say to them in verse 2? Shepherd the flock of God. That's the word pastor. You can look it up in Greek. It's the word for pastor. Pastor the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers. Overseers. So taking the oversight. So there you have it, okay? You've got elders are supposed to pastor, oversee, or shepherd, oversee. These are synonymous in the Scriptures. I think that's helpful. Now does the terminology really matter that much? And honestly, no, it doesn't matter a ton. And here's what I mean. In a sense, it doesn't matter. In other words, it doesn't matter if you say we have elders in the local church or we have pastors in the local church. We have overseers in the local church or we have leaders in the local church. It doesn't matter necessarily what you say, what you say right there, okay? But it matters if it confuses you. Okay, so I hope this helps with simplicity. So here's what we have. So far in the Bible, we've got two offices in the local church, the, the office of governing the local church, the leadership, it's elders, pastors, overseers, there, a plurality of men leading that out. And let me say one more thing about structure and the, and the local church governing. Let me say one more thing. And this is the autonomy of the local church, okay? That word, the autonomy of the local church. Grace Community Church is an autonomous local church, which means we are self-governing, okay? We're self-governing. We believe that biblically... There should be no authority that's higher above that rules over the local church except its leaders in the local church. Okay, There's no hierarchy of leadership that goes up into levels of regions and, and uh, countries and things along those lines. You get what I'm saying? And let me give you a reason for this. Okay, Why autonomous? Why self-governing? I'll give you a positive reason and a negative reason. Positive reason is this. 1 Peter 5.2 Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Shepherds are, co are commanded... Not to shepherd flocks that are far away from them, but to shepherd the flock which is among them. And it makes sense that they would be equipped and ready and able to, uh, to shepherd a church that they are among, that they know, that they see day in and day out. And it makes no sense that they would be able to shepherd a church that's far away from them. It's, they're not among. Okay, That's a positive reason. A negative reason is this. We're not given any scriptural warrant for authority layers that roll above the local church, okay? And, and, and 
And here's what I mean by this, okay? If you think about the major ways that the church is governed, okay, I'm going to say this really fast. You had Episcopalian, uh, Presbyterian, Congregationalism. Some people call it Baptistic, okay? You got different ways that church is governed. If you begin to think about that, the Episcopalian way is there's something like Archbishop over a bunch of bishops who are over a bunch of rectors who are over a congregation, okay? And all the priests, they're called priests, and it's this big hierarchical system, okay? And they don't even try to say that it comes from the Bible. They just say it makes sense, okay? Well, I'm not for that. I'm not for it makes sense. I want Bible, okay? That's Episcopalian. The Presbyterian model has a little more biblical backing in it in that it's like this. It's something like you elect elders to a local church. So, so elders are elected to a local church. So those elders are part of a presbytery who are over a, uh, a group of churches. And then some of the presbytery are a part of a general assembly this, that has authority over all the churches of a large region or may, maybe even a country, something like that, okay? And here's the thing. The thing that they're aimed at has a little bit more biblical backing that there's elders that rule over a local church. But, but what they're aimed at is to display unity, okay? And I praise God for that. And also what they're aimed at is to keep some local church from going haywire into false doctrine, okay? And I'm thankful for that desire. But what it seems like is that is a human reasoning way to make that happen. And I don't think it's necessarily working, okay? It's a human reason way to come up with how to govern the local church. You get what I'm saying? And then when you get to congregationalism, which is more about what we walk in here, whereas it's the autonomy of the local church, the self-governing of the local church, and there are tons of different... Uh, I say tons. There's different ways that that gets done. What I'm presenting to you is a plurality of leadership in a local church. Elders, pastors, overseers in a local church. Okay. So, number five. This is where we're trying to get to. We've walked it in. Universal church is a local church. There should be leadership over the local church. There's two offices there. Plurality of leadership. I'm giving to you Bible about why we think like this. We're not innovative. Okay, giving you a Bible on this. I want you to know this. And so now we're going to get into this question here. Who are the elders then? What must they be? What do, I want you to know this, okay? What must they be? I want to give you a summary. I've got 13 descriptions here, but I can't get to all of them. I'm going to just kind of ask the Lord to help me here, okay? And I'm going to give you a few of these. But 13 descriptions here about who are the elders to be. I want to take these different major passages about leadership and I want to try to summarize these for you and just read some of them as we go along. So pull this in. Remember the reasons why we would even want to know this. Okay? Bible talks about it, right? Because the church is important to us. Because we're a finished the mission church. Because we want to be a church that for many generations continues on after we're long dead and gone. So think about this. Okay, so here's my summary of this, what elders are to be. Number one is this. Elders are a group of men. Male leadership in the local church. This is ordained by God. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11. It says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority of a man, but to, or to have authority of a man. I'm going to stop there. So 1 Timothy 2, 11. I do not prevent a man... Excuse me, I can't read. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. And it comes just before the leadership uh, qualifications in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. So male leadership is what we're going after here, okay? This is ordained by God. To, not, to, to adhere to this truth is not demeaning to women. 
To adhere to this truth does not mean women don't have roles and even leadership roles in some ways over other women and things like this. Making disciples, hungry to worship Jesus, prayer warriors doesn't mean any of that. This is about order of a local church, not value of the person. This is the way God's ordaining male leadership in the local church. I will say this quickly. I think to balk at this point, for, for a church to balk at this point, it makes me wonder, it's so clear, it makes me wonder whether or not they take the Bible as their ultimate authority for what they believe and what they practice. Okay? So that's number one, male leadership. Number two is this, elders are to be above reproach in character. Above reproach in character. Go to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to read verse 1 through 3 and then 6 through 7 and I'll come back to those two verses in between. 1 Timothy 3 verse 1. This is a faithful saying if a man desires the position of a bishop or that's overseer, elder pastor, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless. Above, think about it. Blameless in character. Above reproach in character. Blameless. The husband of one wife. Temperate. Sober-minded. Of good behavior. Hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. Skip the next two verses, we'll come back to them. Verse 6, not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil. Do you get what I'm saying? You can go to Titus chapter 1 and see the same thing. They must be above reproach in character. Oftentimes today, leaders are chosen by pastor search committees based off of what? And a lot of times it's worldly wisdom on what a leader should look like. Does he have charisma? Does he have elegance in his teaching? Does he have a diploma? Can he draw the crowds? And this is a far cry from what the Bible calls us to when he says mark, elders ought to be marked by blamelessness, above reproach in character. And so this takes time if you're going to appoint a leader to dig into his life to know this sort of thing. It's not something you can see in one time preaching. Alright, number three. <clears throat> the elders are to be teachers of the Word, not performers. Number three. This is a description of an elder. The, the elders are to be teachers of the Word, not performers. Uh, we just read verse 2. First uh, Timothy 3 says, able to teach. First Timothy 5.17, especially those who labor in Word and doctrine. Some of your verses say preaching and teaching. Okay, this is the idea. If you read Titus 1.9, it says they must be able by sound doctrine to convict those who come against sound doctrine and to encourage the saints. They must be able to do this sort of thing. There are many people that can stand in front of a crowd and woo the multitudes. They can woo the crowds. Whether somebody can stand up and put on a performance is not a mark of true biblical eldership. Elders must be able to teach. Therefore, they must take the Bible and sound doctrine very, very seriously. And they must be able to take it and be a help to the church as they teach the Word of God. And they're not called to just pull together a couple of verses every now and then, get three points that rhyme, and put some pretty words around it. They are to teach the Word. This is elders, not performers. 1 Timothy 5.16, labor in word and doctrine. Labor, they labor in it. One more verse. Take heed to yourself unto the doctrine, the doctrine, the teaching. You save yourself and those who hear you. Just 
Word of God. Okay. Number four is this. Elders are to be men who lead their families well, provided they have a wife and children. There are to be men who lead their families well, provided they have a wife and children. Still in 1 Timothy 3, look at verse 4 and 5. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. And I love this reasoning here. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? If a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Okay, This means not leading your house well, not having your children in submission with all reverence. And what this means does disqualify somebody from leadership in the local church. It disqualifies them from being elders. Okay, Leaders, let me say this first. I, I, I would say it is a sad, and you can affirm this or not, it's a sad development in today that oftentimes to say something like that is seen as if that's too high a measure or, or it's too uh, strict a measure. And people even call it legalistic. But this is the standard of the Bible. May we never be, Grace Community Church, never be a people that pronounce somebody as qualified to lead a church when we know nothing about their family life. Okay? Number five is this. The elders are to be men who are servants. Servants, not overlords. Not overlords. 1 Peter 5.3 says, not lording it over the flock. Not lording it over the flock. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 43, He said, if you want to be first, you must be a slave of all. A slave of all. So the picture here, is this intimidation and manipulation to get what you want, to lord it over people, has no place in the church. That might cut it in the world for leadership, but it does not cut it in the local church of Jesus Christ. Instead, leaders are supposed to get down low and wash feet. They're supposed to get their shoulders up under the weak and lift them up. This is what you go after. This is what you want. And local church leaders. Number six, elders are to be examples to the flock. 1 Peter 5-3 again says, not lording it over them, but serving as examples to the flock. 1 Peter 5-3. Examples to the flock. I want you to notice that the qualifications we've been reading are not extraordinary in their nature. Does that make sense? The qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 of a leader are not necessarily extraordinary just in their nature. In other words, every, every Christian should be striving for the qualifications that you see there in that list. Okay, Every Christian should be striving for blamelessness, sober-mindedness, a well-run home. Every Christian should be striving to kill sins of covetousness, greed, pride, just like it talks about in that list. Every Christian should be striving to build up the church, win the world to Jesus, and we should have leaders in local churches that set up as examples to the way that should go down. Perfection is not the requirement. Perfection is not the requirement. But above reproach as examples to follow or to disqualify to be leader in the local church. Number seven is this. Elders are to be shepherds, and hear me out here, elders are to be shepherds of souls. Not professional CEOs. They're to be shepherds of souls. Not just those who sit on endless board meetings. Shepherds of souls. You see that in Acts 20, verse 28, where he says, Shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd the flock of God, which He purchased with His own blood. Shepherd her. You see it in 1 Peter 5 too. Shepherd the flock over which you've been made an overseer. Shepherd, shepherd, shepherd. Too often times in this culture... Too often times in this culture, a pastor elder is seen as some untouchable, 
professional CEO who gives speeches and plans events, but never gets in the lives of the people to shepherd their souls. Or too often in this culture, shepherds, elders are seen in this culture as just somebody that sits on a board meetings all the time and making decisions about things that really don't even matter that much. And they're not able, nor do they, nor do they desire to get into people's life and shepherd souls. They're to be shepherds of souls. Okay, the biblical picture is this, a group of men, elders, pastors, whose role is to shepherd. That's what the word pastor means. Shepherd the flock of God. Life on life with the flock. Feeding the flock with the Word of God. Defending the flock from the wolves of false teachers. From the cancers of sin. And striving to make every member of the flock a growing Christian in Christ Jesus. Number eight is this. The title elder. Just take the title elder for a minute. Elder, pastor, overseer, elder. It insinuates there should be maturity in the life of this man. Age, and the word elder, age is not necessarily in view. You see that in 1 Timothy chapter 4 where he says, let no one despise your youth. But instead, maturity is what we're looking for in elders in the local church. Number nine is this, overseer. The word overseer insinuates that a man stands as a watchman to the flock. Think about it. Overseer, watchman. Overseer, watchman. A watchman to the flock. He has a concern not just for individuals, but for the church as a whole. He has a care for the church as a whole. He feels a responsibility that something has been entrusted to him. 1 Peter 5.3 says, those entrusted to you. And he feels the weight that one day he's going to stand before God, according to Hebrews 13.7, and give an account for those souls that have been entrusted to him. He feels the weight of that. And so he stands as a watchman over souls. Just like Ezekiel 33 verse 7. Listen. I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. Now what if, this, what if the shepherds don't warn them? What if they don't warn them? His blood I will require at your hand. This is the reason why Paul in Acts chapter 20, it's verse 26, he's able to look at the Ephesians over which he led for a time and say, I'm innocent of the blood of all men for I've not shown to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Number 10. Number 10 is this. Elders are to be men who are called by God, not compelled by men. Men who are called by God, not compelled by men. Here's what I mean. 1 Peter 5, 2. It says, Shepherd the flock of God, not by compulsion, but willingly. 1 Timothy 3, 2 says, If a man desires, desires the position of an overseer, he desires a good work. Desires or he does it willingly. You see those words. An elder should never have to be harnessed with bit and bridle to force him to do his job. So often in this culture I hear things like, I never want to be a pastor, but God just drug me into it kicking and screaming. That's hogwash. They should be willing. I want to, I want to lead the flock of God. Why? Because God's called me to this. He's called me to do it. I believe He's given me a responsibility and I'm going to stand before Him one day and give an account. Therefore, I want to lead. I want to shepherd the church of God. Number 11 is this. And i got more, but I'm going to stop here. Let me stop with this one. Elders are to be equippers, not event planners. Equippers, not event planners. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says, Pastors and teachers... Okay, and that's the same person, pastor, teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. They're to be equippers for the work 
of the ministry. Now, why do I highlight that, okay? Events don't equip saints. Men do. Programs don't equip saints. Men do. Programs and events can be helpful, that's for sure. They have their place. But so oftentimes, leaders get reeled in. They get reeled into this event planning program sustaining and they never find themselves. They've neglected to be in the souls of the people that they love and are called to care for. They're to be, in, they're to be equippers of the saints. So this is what we want to be. We want to see leadership in a local church as equipping the saints so that the church can turn around, the whole church, with the elders with it, and can absolutely explode on the world. With Holy Spirit power, Bible-saturated power for His glory among the nations. Equipping of the saints. For time's sake, I'm going to stop there and move on. Let me say a couple things. One practical thing, and then I'm going to conclude with a thought that I have, uh, what do you say, I've assumed it this far. Okay. Here's, here's the really practical thing. And I'm only saying this because most of you know this, but I know there's also many of you that have not been around necessarily Grace Community Church from the beginning, okay? So just give a few little details, okay? Uh, most of you know this, but uh, Grace Community Church has been, this church has been a local church for about two and a half years now. Okay? A local church for two and a half years. Local church, two and a half years. From the beginning, myself and Dustin Cook have been overseer, elder, pastors, okay? And we desire as a church to, as it says, when it talks about appointing elders, appointing leadership, lay hands on them first Timothy 5.22, we desire to lay hands on many that God calls out and qualifies. We desire to do that. Whether that's here, or that's planting other churches in the regions around us, or whether that's sending them out to the nations as missionaries that are going to preach the gospel, make disciples, plant churches, and lead them as they raise up more leaders. We, we want to do that. Pray fervently for that. Will you pray fervently for that? Pray fervently for that sort of thing. Alright, here's what I want to conclude with. I have assumed this up to this point. But I don't want to assume it. And here it is. Jesus is the chief shepherd of Grace Community Church. That ought to hit you well. Jesus is the chief shepherd of Grace Community Church. I don't want to assume it. I want to make it explicit. Let me give you a scripture proof. A scripture proof. 1 Peter chapter 5. There's other verses too, but 1 Peter 5, 4, just after he talks about leadership in a local church and shepherding the flock of God, verse 4 he says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. There's a chief shepherd. If you're looking at us talking about Jesus, the chief shepherd, the master shepherd. And he's the chief shepherd of Grace Community Church. Now why do I want to make this explicit? Because I've just explained to you that there should be men who lead Grace Community Church. And I explained to you who they should be. Okay? And that might be, as you think about mere men leading the church, that might discourage you. Especially since you guys mostly know myself and Dustin well. It might discourage you. So here's what I want to do. There's good news. Christ Jesus is the shepherd of this church. He's the chief shepherd of this church. It's an unseen reality, but it's a reality nonetheless. This is fantastic news for us. This is here. Let me tell you why this is fantastic news. You think about the abilities of our chief shepherd. What about his abilities? What about Jesus' power? What about Jesus' wisdom? His power is more than we can fathom. He upholds the worlds by the word of his power. 
Don't you think He has the ability to shepherd Grace Community Church to be a praise for Him in the earth? Think about His wisdom. It's, we can't fathom His wisdom. Jeremiah 51. It says this. <clears throat> I lost it. He established the world by His wisdom. See? I'm weak. He's strong. You see this? Jeremiah 51. He has established the world by His wisdom and stretched out the heavens by His understanding. His wisdom. Don't you think He has the ability to guide and direct Grace Community Church, even through weak men like all of us? What about His promise? Why is this fantastic news that He's a chief shepherd? What about His promise? Remember what He said this? I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Do you know how many times that verse and that promise has struck my soul and brought joy to me? I, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not stand against it. The faithful one has promised. The one who cannot lie has spoken. The one whose words never fail, he's given a promise and we at Grace Community Church can trust him. He's going to do exactly what He said. And He'll do it through us. Let me tell you this, another thing. His desire. You think about the desire of the chief shepherd over Grace Community Church. Think about His desire. He desires to shepherd us. He desires to lead us. He wants to. He's not doing it because He has to. This is not something He's doing unwillingly. He longs to conform us into His own image. He longs for that. He wants to do this. He has the desire. And I think He proved it at the cross. You look at the cross. Look at the cross. Look at the Savior hanging there. Our sins laid upon Him. Look at the Savior hanging on the cross. God demonstrates His love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He died on the cross for our sins. Look at Him hanging there, absorbing our punishment, absorbing our wrath. He takes it for us. Look at Him, risen from the grave, leader of His church. He's proven His love for this church. And you see it also in Revelation. It's chapter 21. Chapter 20, verse 9. You got the church gathered there. You think about it. You go read Revelation 20. He got Satan's been a thousand years. He's gone. Comes back, gathers together the army. He comes back to get the bride of Christ. And you think it's about to be this all-out war. And then all of a sudden what happens? It says, fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. He protects His bride. He's proven His love for His church. He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all. How will He not also in Christ Jesus freely give us all things? He's proven His love for His church. And then the last thing I'll say about the chief shepherd is His record. You think about His record, okay? How many times do you think Jesus has carved out a group of people for Himself, conformed them to His image, and made them a praise in the earth for His glory, for His name among all the nations? How many times do you think He's done that? And He can do it with us. He's faithful. He's got a perfect record. And He can do it with us. So let's pray. Father, thank You that we could come before You. God, I pray that You would take these things and You would take any of us here, Lord, who see these things as insignificant, God, and You help us to see the significance of it. God, I pray that You would exalt Yourself as the chief shepherd of this church. Exalt that truth, God. You, you've said it and we believe it, Lord. You are the chief shepherd. You are the head. 
of this body. And we believe that, God. I pray that you would show that in the way that you deal with us all. You deal with us personally, Lord, and you deal with our sins, and you turn us away from our sin into you, Lord Jesus. In the way that you empower us all, God, by your Holy Spirit to preach your word and to win lost souls. Exalt this truth that you are our chief shepherd. And God, I do pray that you would make us to be even more so a finish the mission church. Make us, make us a multi-generational church, God. God, please protect us when it comes to leadership, Lord, in this church. I pray, God, that for, for myself and Dustin and any that may be leaders in the future, God, I pray, God, that you would protect, Lord, you would keep, you would preserve. God, let there not be, God, protect us from false teachers, protect us from these things. God, let us be a church for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.